Hey everybody, this is Danny Heinemann, the campus minister for RUF at UW. Uh, welcome to episode two of the semester podcast series on communion with God. And what this series is about is going to be a series of podcasts on the idea of communion and how it relates to the major themes uh, that we think are in the Bible, the centrality of the scriptures as our authority and the way that we that God has revealed himself to us, uh, the importance of justification as the means by which we're reconciled to God, the reality of sanctification sanctification is the way that God uh, draws us nearer to himself further up and further in the way he makes us holy and then our hope of glorification where um, God will one day renew all things including ourselves and our very bodies and what we want to say is that this is actually like the major theme of the whole Bible so it's a way to understand what is going on in the Bible um, what's important uh, where the story is going and then what it means for us now so um, one of the things that we talked about last week was how uh, we, we defined communion. We kind of set it in its biblical, theological context. You know, we talked about how the Bible basically is telling a story about communion with God that was given uh, in the creation of the heavens and the earth, and then communion that was lost in this uh, fall of mankind into sin and the curse that sin brought upon creation. And then we talked about how the rest of the Bible essentially is about God's work to restore this communion. Um, communion, as we defined it, is it's a sharing. Sharing in life, it's like a, a participating with. So the most vivid illustration of that in the Bible is, is of marriage, right? But the way that we understand marriage is that two different people come together to become one, to become one. And that is how we are to understand our union with God as well. So the point last week, like I said, is that uh, what we try to establish is that communion is like the central motif of the whole Bible. All the other things, and there are all kinds of other things in the Bible, all the other things are related to or to be understood as an aspect of this story of communion given, lost, and then regained. The way that we're going to walk through this series is by taking a look at kind of the core ideas that RUF is trying to emphasize in our ministry here and showing how those things relate to this idea of communion. So the things that we are, for the most part, trying to emphasize in our ministry here, we kind of group them into four different categories. One is we want students who encounter the ministry of RUF to have a robust idea of what the scriptures are and why they're important, why we should use them and study them and read them and listen to them read and listen to sermons on them, those kinds of things. And then we also want to understand a category of justification, how it is that we become right with God, which also obviously assumes that there's something wrong. <laughs> and then uh, the other two categories are sanctification, which is how God makes us holy, and then glorification, which is the hope that we have that one day, uh, we don't know when, but one day uh, Jesus, the Son of God, will return and he will raise all of the dead into resurrected bodies and bring a restored world that that includes our like natural ecology it also includes our very bodies but then also like our moral capability and status that there will be a day when we are made totally right we're going to walk through those four different categories together now this week we are looking at the connection between communion and scripture and what we're actually going to say and we think this is actually what the Bible teaches, is that we can experience communion with the living God through the written words of Scripture. 
Now, how can we say that? Um, well, we can say that uh, partly because um, th this is what the scriptures teach about it, uh, about themselves. I mean, you know, it's kind of strange to think about, but the we have these books that are these Bibles that are just like printed books, the same as the rest of our books, right? So it's it's kind of a, a bold claim to make and one that seems a little bit outlandish. But the Christian tradition and the scriptures themselves have always taught that um, to encounter the written word of God in the scriptures is, is in a very real sense to encounter the living God himself. Um, so the first thing I want to address is this. Now, does the Bible actually say anything about this? Um, is this, in other words, a legitimate thing to suggest that we can experience communion with God, like union, right, through the Bible? Well, you know, obviously what I'm going to say is that the answer is yes, um, but but I want to kind of walk through what the Bible has to say about it. So there, there are all kinds of things um, to look at, but I'm going to pick out a few. Um, and what I want to do first is talk about how the Bible talks about the Word. From the very beginning, Genesis chapters 1 and 2, uh, creation comes into being on the basis of a Word, and it's God's Word. And then that creation is continuously upheld and, and acted upon or acted in by this same power. You see this in a text like Psalm 147. On top of that, you have in this story of God's people, God speaking, this is how the scriptures treat it, God speaks his people into freedom in their exodus from Egypt. The whole book of Exodus is about God rescuing his people from slavery and, and the way that the scriptures reflect on this in somewhere like uh, Psalm 105 is that God spoke them into freedom. God also issues uh, words of promise about the future, uh, the eschatological, which is to say the, the, the final, the end, the end hope of the people of God. Um, these words of promise are given in place all over the place, but in, you know, in sometimes in the most vivid form in places like Jeremiah 30 and 31. And that's just in the Old Testament. So when we get to the New Testament, uh, the way the New Testament talks about the word uh, it is this. It, it basically says, in the fullness of time, which is to say, like, at just the right time, the incarnate word himself, the Greek word there is logos, the incarnate word himself speaks. And these words are identified as the word of God. You can see this in a place like Luke 5. And those words, they have all of the attendant power that a careful reader of the Old Testament would expect that word to have, right? So if in the Old Testament, the words are doing things, they create the world, they speak people into freedom, they issue promises. Um, if, if that is what you are understanding the word to be, when you come to the New Testament and it says, the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and that's what it says about Jesus, then you would expect the words of that word to have the same kind of power. And in fact, they do, right? Um, these words that Jesus speaks, they cause paralytics to walk, uh, blind men to see, uh, demons to leave their hosts. All of these things occur when Jesus speaks. So that's one way of taking a look at uh, the word and the way that the scriptures talk about the word. So the idea here is basically that God's word um, has power. It does things. It's not. It's It's very different from kind of the impotence of a lot of my speech, right? Like I have a hard time getting my kids to eat their peanut butter and jelly toast. Um, but God, when God speaks, things happen. 
there's another way to think about the word. So you have things, something like uh, when you read the Old Testament, there's this whole section of the Old Testament that is devoted to the prophets. And um, the way that we understand the prophets' words uh, is, is something like this. The prophets are people who um, function as the mouthpiece of God. They're people through whom God speaks to his people and to the world. And this word, too, is understood to have an, an effect, right? Um, it is supposed to produce a divinely caused effect in the world. You see this in a place like the book of Jonah. Jonah's a prophet sent to Nineveh. Most of what Jonah does is not uh, to be imitated, but what, what he does do is he eventually gets to Nineveh and he speaks words uh, that it are calling the people of Nineveh to repent. And they do, and God relents from his judgment. So the prophets are people who are described as those who have received uh, a word from God, and then they deliver that word to God's people. And so another way we should understand this is that through these words, God is revealing himself. This is a way we, with, another word we have for this is revelation. Not the book, but the category. Um, and so we understand these words spoken through prophets as God revealing himself. Not just things about himself, but, but, but himself actually. Um, you see this especially in, in, in figures like Elijah and Elisha. See Elijah, 1 Kings 18, Elisha, 2 Kings 2, this, this kind of thing is happening. Uh, and Isaiah, maybe most of all, uh, teaches us through the words that he receives from God about who God is, especially in the way that he talks about the coming Messiah. Now, when we get to the New Testament, uh, we spoke a little bit about it already, but when we get to the New Testament, we see this kind of word category taking on a new, a new sort of shape. So we see things, we see the New Testament speaking about the word of God, um, and that word is applied to words actually that the apostles speak, these men who were disciples of Jesus who were then sent out into the world to spread the good news of the gospel. The words that they speak are called the word of God, and then even the words that they write. In Luke's account of the Acts of the Apostles, the book of Acts, which is the fifth book in the New Testament, the apostles understand their primary ministry as the proclamation of what they call the ministry of the word. And so they go out and they speak on behalf of God. In this way, we can, this, there's, in this sense, we can call them prophets, not that they're necessarily like predicting the future, which is not really how the Bible thinks about prophecy. Prophecy is simply people who are speaking the words of God. And so the apostles are definitely um, participating in this. So as it is with Jesus, um, the words that the apostles speak um, are, are words that are the words of God. And it, but when they speak, it's kind of like it's a word about a word, right? Jesus is the word, the logos of God. That word given to the apostles is attended and even enabled, empowered by the presence of the Holy Spirit. So God speaks his word through these men by his spirit. But he also needs to be understood as working through this word in the lives of those who hear the word. The apostles' ministry is not simply a word about Jesus, the incarnate word, although it is never less than that. It is an act, it's, it's actually an active expression of the word of God itself. And that has its own power because of the activity of the Holy Spirit, both in those who are speaking the word, uh, writing the word, and then hearing the word. And so what I want you to see is that when you just look at the Bible, what the Bible has to say about the Word of God, we have to understand that it is uh, what one author put it, it's the Spirit 
infused proclamation of the word that mediates divine reality and power, which is a kind of a wordy sentence, but it basically says that you can actually, you make contact with God through the word. Okay, so what I, the, to, to summarize what I'm trying to say is, uh, the first thing is this, uh, the word of God does stuff. Uh, the word of God as the second person of the Trinity, the word of God as Jesus Christ, the incarnate second person of the Trinity, and then the word of God um, that is that comes to us through human intermediaries. The word of God is, is a... Um, is a thing that has like causal power. So that's the first thing. And then the second thing is the word of God, as we have, it comes to us through human intermediaries. But how can this be true, right? So like, this is what the Bible says, but how can it be true? Um, well, the way that we think about it is, is uh, the way I want to think about it is maybe in two ways. The first way is this, the word of God, as it says in Hebrews 4, is living and active, it's living and active. It's helpful to think about it um, if we think about the you know word in all its occurrences, right? So again, word means the written words of scripture, the words spoken by the prophets, the words spoken by Jesus. But it, all of those things are participations in this bigger category of the word or the logos of God, which in Christian theology is what we mean when we say the second person of the Trinity, who is Jesus. And so there's a very real sense in which the word is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing the soul and spirit. This is Hebrews 4. It divides joints and marrows, or joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Uh, nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. So that's one way in which you know, you can, you can even think of this as the way in which we understand how we come into communion with God through the word is that the word is living and active. Secondly, the way that God acts in the world and the way that a word can become living and active, uh, the words of the book that you hold in your hand, right? That like the, the scriptures, right? The, the Bible that I have that was printed in, I don't know, Chicago, how, the way that that can become a means by which the living and life-giving God comes into contact with me is because the way that God acts in history is through signs. In Christian theology, there's this whole category of things called sacraments, and the Word of God is not a sacrament, but what it does is it acts sacramentally. And what I mean by that is that a sacrament is a sign and a, a kind of external sign of an internal reality or a, a, a visible sign of a of a reality that we cannot see and if you think about language like letters and words are just signs that that uh, point us to uh, concepts or whatever and so that helps us understand what I mean when I say that like it's actually the words that have come to us through the prophets through Christ himself um, that enable us as signs to move through the signs and participate um, in God. It's kind of like, I mean, you can think about any sign to kind of help understand this, like a speed limit sign. Speed limit sign is a sign on the road that you see, but it, it but it, what it communicates is a reality. And in this space, it's a reality that if you drive faster than that speed limit sign says, or like, you know, depending on how sensitive the police are, or if there's a policeman around, you may be pulled over and you might get a ticket, right? So it's a sign that communicates all these realities to you. And you actually are participating in that reality that the uh, that the that there is a limit on how fast you can drive. Um, 
words in general work in a similar way, but especially the word of God. So the way that God reveals himself in, uh, in kind of traditional Christian theology is he's got two books, two signs through which he communicates himself and, and by which we come into um, communion with him. The first one is the book of nature is what we say. And the second one is uh, the book of scripture. And you can see that the interplay between these two things in uh, Psalm 19. So take a look at that. The first half is all about the way that God reveals himself through his creation. The heavens declare the glory of God. And then the second half of that is about the way that God reveals himself through uh, what it says there is his law. That law is kind of a stand-in for all of his written uh, revelation. Words are signs by which God communicates himself to us to come into contact in a particular way with us. Okay, so this is how the word, the word of God comes to us. And, and this is how God himself comes to us through the scriptures. In other words, this is how we have communion with God through the Bible itself, which is pretty amazing. There's a, a, a theologian back from the middle of the 20th century who, who said some really helpful things about this. And here's one of the things he said. His name's Henri de Lubac. And he said, the human authors of the holy books have died. That's true. The events that they have reported have passed away. Also true. But the word of God was expressed, the word like capital W, like God himself, the word of God was expressed through both, and it is he who speaks to us still. It is he who reveals himself on every page. He reveals himself on every page by his word and through his spirit. So if you're a Christian, when you come into contact with the Bible itself, you are actually, you are able to, to make contact with, to, go, to come into communion with the God of the universe. So just a couple points of application. I mean, I think what this means for us is that um, if you're feeling far from God, which I know all of us have felt before, I mean, some of us may feel now, if you're feeling far from God, the first question is, are you reading the Bible? Are you reading it on your own? Um, are you making time in your day? I'm not talking about like um, some overly spiritualized, like quiet time where you have to read the Bible and come away with some like therapeutic nugget, um, that, that quote unquote helps you for your day. I'm talking about going to the Bible so that you can be with God himself. Are you doing that? That's the first question. And then are you listening to it as it's read in church? I mean, I think the the whole, if you're going to a church that has any kind of a historic pattern of worship, um, the way that Christians have set up their worship, because you got to do it some way, right? The way that Christians have reflected thoughtfully on this is that we want to pack as much of the Bible in to what it is we're doing together as we can. So are you reading the Bible on your own? If you don't have one, it's probably, it's pretty easy to find one. You can contact me if you have no other options. But are you reading it on your own? And then are you listening to it as it's read in church? And then are you listening to it as it's expounded in church uh, by the church's ministers, pastors, preachers, priests? Are you doing that? So that's how it is that we come into contact with God. That's how we have communion with God through the Holy Scriptures. Um, next week, I think we're going to talk about uh, ways to read the Bible and um, some, some, some principles for interpretation that can help you um, 
make sense of what the Bible says because it's not always that easy to understand. And so uh, we're going to talk about taking into account the context and the, the genre and all these different kinds of things, uh, the, the place in the story that the Bible tells. But we're also going to talk about um, what's been called a, a theological interpretation or uh, even a spiritual interpretation. So um, these will be much more practical things for you as you attempt to move closer to God, move further up and further in into your communion with Him um, as you encounter God through the Holy Scriptures. <laughs>